what did Jesus' death on the cross achieve? It, it looked to those watching on that it was pointless, that it didn't achieve anything. It looks to many today that Jesus' death was no more significant in and of itself than uh, the, the deaths of anyone else that the Romans executed. It's just that, that Christians have chosen to put some meaning in it. But God's verdict is very different. And so today from these verses we're going to look at three things that Jesus' death achieved and see what that means for us. Uh, and the first thing in these verses that we see Jesus' death achieving is that Jesus pleased his Father. Jesus pleased his Father. Uh, verse 10 begins to translate it literally, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him. Uh, not just that it was the Father's will to crush him, but that it pleased the Father. The same word is used uh, in the opening chapter of Isaiah chapter 1 verse 11 where it's translated I do not delight in or do not take pleasure in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. And yet in the verses in front of us uh, what we're told that God does take pleasure in is the crushing of his own son. Uh, and that should stop us in our tracks. After Jesus was baptised, was there not a voice from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. But now we read that the Father was pleased to crush the Son. God tells us elsewhere in the book of Ezekiel that he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked but here the God who, who has no pleasure in the death of the wicked tells us that he does have pleasure, the same word, in the death of the only truly righteous person who has ever lived. How can that be? Well, we want to ponder that as we begin this morning. As we see that Jesus' death pleased his Father, both because of his obedience and because of what it achieved. Have you ever heard someone say that on the cross Jesus lost the love of the Father? Well that's not right, is it? Because actually the Father never loved the Son more than at that moment. For this reason the Father loves me, Jesus said, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. On another occasion Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And never more so than on the cross. When Christ came into the world, he, he says uh, prophetically in Psalm 40, quoted in the book of Hebrews, I have come to do your will, O God. And it was the will of the Lord to crush him. On the cross, Jesus was obeying his Father. And in that obedience, the Father took pleasure. But the Father took pleasure not simply in Jesus' obedience, but in what it would achieve. This whole chapter is about the cross. 
uh, in precise detail, even though it was written 700 years before Jesus was born. And what was Jesus doing on the cross? Well, here in verse 10, the middle of the verse, uh, 700 years before we're told that his soul was making an offering for guilt. What was Jesus doing on the cross? Seven centuries before it happened, Isaiah says, his soul was making an offering for guilt. When Jesus died, he glorified his father's name and saved his father's people, uh, who were his people too. And this is what had been planned from before the foundation of the world. Sometimes people can end up thinking that God the Father had no desire to save us. And the cross was about Jesus trying to convince a reluctant father to do what he didn't want to do. But here we see that that, that's not the case at all. Uh, The second line of uh, verse 10 says, He has put him to grief. Uh, the, the he is talking about the father and the him is talking about the son. The father is just as active as the son. So Jesus' death wasn't some tragic accident. He didn't just die to give us an example of love. He died rather because he was carrying out the father's will. And the father was pleased because the son followed that plan through right to the end. And it is important to be clear that on the cross, God the Father was punishing God the Son. Uh, Not for his sins, but for ours. Jesus was paying the debt that we owed to God. One view in the early church was that on the cross, Jesus was paying a ransom to Satan to set us free. Uh, now, it's right to say that Jesus was paying a ransom. He, he tells us himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But these verses tell us that on the cross, Jesus wasn't appeasing Satan He was appeasing his father. Uh, And so if you know the story of the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, don't look for meaning in every detail. Uh, I don't think that's what the author intended. Uh, Because in that story, Aslan the lion dies to pay a debt that was owed to the white witch, uh, who is the equivalent of Satan. but in the, the biblical story, Jesus died to pay a debt that is owed to God. Uh, the debt for our sin. The, the same debt we pray about in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, forgive us our debts. So what does that mean practically? Well, it means this morning that if you're not a Christian, then your biggest problem isn't Satan. Your biggest problem is God because your sins are against him. Uh, You don't owe a debt to Satan. You owe a debt to God. And you can never, ever pay it. If you don't put your trust in Jesus, you have no hope. 
But wonderfully, the message of the gospel is that Jesus came to pay that ransom. Back in verse 4, we had the words of the unconverted Jews as they looked at the cross. Uh, They say that this man must be being smitten by God. His death must be a divine punishment. Verse 4, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Were they right? Well, they were right. Jesus was being smitten by God. His death was a divine punishment. They were right that Jesus was being punished. But they were wrong in assuming that Jesus was being punished for his own sins. Jesus wasn't crushed for his own sins, but for the sins of his people. But if you don't accept his offer of forgiveness... One day you will be crushed for your own sins. Uh, The full weight of the wrath of God which fell on Jesus will fall on you. uh, And it will do so for all eternity. And Jesus is not just a way of escape. He's the only way. His death pleased the Father whereas the death of countless animals didn't. And God won't be pleased with any of our attempts to get right with him either by our own efforts. To try and get right with God by good works or church attendance or taking communion won't please him. Uh, That would be an an insult to his wisdom, an insult to Jesus' death to say that 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 we know better that Jesus would would give us life on the cross, but actually we can get to heaven by, by doing good works instead. So there is no other way. And if there is no other way, aren't you thankful that Jesus' death pleased his Father? That as a result of it, the Father can take pleasure in us. That in fact the father took pleasure in crushing his son. So that as a result he might take pleasure in us. So the first thing that Jesus' death achieved. He pleased his father. Jesus' death pleased his father. The second thing it achieved was the defeat of death itself. So secondly this morning Jesus defeated death. It's a pretty common technique in TV shows to have an episode uh, which features the apparent death of the main character only for it to be revealed in the next episode or the next series that they hadn't uh, really died. But here in Isaiah 53 we have a prophecy of someone who wouldn't merely come near to death Uh, There can be no doubt that the person spoken of here uh, would actually die. In verse 7 he was led to the slaughter. In verse 8 he was cut off from the land of the living. In verse 9 it speaks of his grave as he was buried with a rich man. It speaks of his death. In verse 12 he poured out his soul to death. And yet even though verse 10 tells us that he was crushed by God and there is no comeback from being crushed by the Lord, the rest of the verse goes on to say that he will prolong his days. That even though he's dead and buried, that somehow that won't be the end of him. 
Verse 12 even talks about him being rewarded for what he's done. Uh, Verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. The details could be understood a number of different ways but the main point is clear. Jesus will be exalted because of what he's achieved. Verse 12 starts with the word therefore. Therefore because of what he's done he will have this reward. Just as in Philippians 2. Therefore uh, God has highly exalted him because of his death on the cross. And the middle of the verse makes it even clearer uh, what the reward is for. Because he poured out his soul to death. Because he gave his life. He's being rewarded. And yet amazingly he will receive that reward himself. Because death won't be the end of him. It is uh, possible in this world to, to be rewarded for giving your life to, for something or someone. Uh, someone could be uh, posthumously awarded uh, the Victoria Cross or, or some other medal. A, a medal someone gets after they're dead because of their bravery in battle. But... But what is being talked about here is a reward uh, given to someone who's still alive and able to enjoy it and share it with his people. So the picture we're left with at the end of this chapter is of someone who has died and been buried but is now very much alive again. It's a prophecy not only of the death but also the resurrection of the Lord Jesus The one who gave his life to pay for the sins of his people, but emerged victorious on the other side. And so we can be thankful. Thankful that uh, because death wasn't the end of the story for Jesus, that it won't be the end of the story for us either. During the week, I, I was at a, at a, a couple of, of funerals, funerals of unbelievers, and, and I don't think there's anything more sad than the funeral of an unbeliever where there is no hope. And that's what it would have been like for us. But because Jesus came through death, we uh, can be sure that we will too. And yet if there is no God, however much people might want to dress it up, at the end of the day life is meaningless. Uh, We're on earth for a few short years. There's no purpose at all, really. Uh, And all we have to do is try and gather up as much uh, stuff as we can find and try and entertain ourselves uh, however we can. And, uh, And all the while, really, our bodies are deteriorating until we're laid in the ground it's all utterly hopeless but praise God that that's not all that we have to look forward to that because Jesus died and rose again he will raise us too that our loved ones uh, and those uh, who've worshipped in this building in the past if they have died trusting in Christ uh, they aren't in the ground this morning but they're with Jesus Because when he said that he would prepare a place for us, those weren't empty words. 
His promise was that where I am, you may be also. And he keeps his promises. Death is not natural. Don't let anyone tell you it's just a part of life. It was never meant to be this way. But because Jesus rose, it's not the end of the story. The last enemy has been defeated. But Jesus' resurrection doesn't just give us hope as we face the end of life. It also changes things right now. Look at the the final words of the chapter. He makes intercession for the transgressors. In other words, he prays for the rebels. And we see a partial fulfillment of that on the cross. When Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing. He was making intercession for the transgressors. He was praying for the rebels. But but above all, this is something that Jesus does even now. He intercedes for us. That is, he prays for us. Jesus' work on earth is done, but his, his high priestly work in heaven continues. Isn't it encouraging uh, when someone tells you that, that they've been praying for you and, and, and you know that they have, but to have Jesus himself praying for us, wow. Uh, many people like reading books or, or watching films about the great battles of the past. Uh, and yet while those things can inspire us, they, they can't change anything about our day-to-day lives. But the greatest battle this world has ever seen where Jesus defeated death, it changes everything for us. It means that death won't be the end of you. And even now Jesus is praying for you. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. So the second thing that Jesus achieved on the cross, he defeated death. The third and final thing we're going to look at from these verses is that Jesus saved his people. Jesus pleased his father. Jesus defeated death. Jesus saved his people. It's tragic to read about soldiers who die in battle without ever seeing the child who has been born while they've been away at war. You can imagine their dying thoughts turning to that baby that they've perhaps seen a photo of but they now know they'll never hold the child that they will never see grow up well on the cross also Jesus thoughts turn to his children uh, to his offspring not physical children for he had none but spiritual children uh, because he has many to those who would be born again as a result of what he was doing. That's what verse 10 is speaking about when it says he will see his offspring. Who are Jesus' offspring? It's those he was dying for. It's the many in verse 11. It is a big family. Uh, Verse 11, by his knowledge shall uh, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Those who Jesus gave his life for would become his spiritual children, his spiritual offspring. In verse 10, it's it's their guilt that he's making an offering for. Uh, That is your guilt and mine. 
just pause here. The time switch up there is probably on the old time zone. <laughs> uh, so. That's us. So those who, who Jesus uh, gave his life for, they are his spiritual offspring. In verse 10, he makes an offering for their guilt. In verse 11, it's his offspring uh, that he makes uh, to be accounted righteous. It's their iniquities he bears. And in verse 12, it's the sin of his offspring that he bore. It looked to those around the cross that Jesus had achieved nothing. His small band of followers had been scattered. Uh, one of them had betrayed him. Another had denied him. Uh, the rest had all ran. But in fact, Jesus had achieved exactly what he wanted to achieve. A few hours before he died, he was able to say to his father, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And so far from dying alone as a failure, his very death guaranteed that he would have an offspring from every race on earth. Jesus didn't just die for a few people he didn't just win salvation for a, a small handful. Verse 11 says that he shall make many to be accounted righteous. Uh, verse 12 says that he bore the sins of many. You know, it would be easy for us today to think that we are part of something small. That just because the claims of Christ are so widely ignored where we are, that that's what it's like around the world. But think of the work that God is doing around the world in, in China, in South America, in various African countries, in many parts of the world. Even today, the cause of the gospel is flourishing. We are not part of something small. We, we thought last Lord's Day about the church militant, the, the church on earth and the church triumphant, the church in heaven. And it is one church. Think of how many have already gone ahead of us. Uh, and Jesus died knowing for sure the great multitude that his death would save. Sometimes we read about people who die before seeing their, their goals completed. And maybe it's someone who has campaigned for, uh, for a lifetime to try and get a law changed. But they die just a, a few months before uh, that law is finally changed. Or, or, or we've heard of those who've written great works of literature which go on to be bestsellers, but in their own lifetime they're ignored. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Verse 11, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. What would Jesus see in the midst of death? He would see all that his death had achieved. He would see what his death had achieved for his people. Jesus saved his people. And look what he won for us in verse 11. He didn't just die so that our sins could be taken away. He didn't just die so that our slate could be wiped clean. He died to make many accounted righteous. Uh, 
He is described using the same word. He is the righteous one. And he died to make many be accounted righteous. In other words, he died so that God would treat us the same way he treats his own son. Because our righteousness would be his righteousness. uh, Imputed to us and received by faith alone. So then this morning we've been reminded of three things that Jesus' death achieved. Jesus pleased his father. On the cross we see Father, Son and Spirit working together to achieve precisely what had been planned. We've seen that Jesus defeated death. The one who would be cut off from the land of the living wouldn't stay that way. And as a result our enemy, death, has been defeated. And we've seen that Jesus saved his people. Far from dying as a failure or even Simply dying to make salvation possible. Jesus died to save a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages. And if you come to the table with your trust in him today. Then let the the bread and wine that you take in your hands and, and you taste. Be a reminder that these are not simply three things that Jesus did for people in general. The three things that he did for you. He pleased his father that his father might take pleasure in you. He defeated death for you so that for you to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he guaranteed your salvation. On the cross he took your sin, not leaving a single bit for you to bear. And by faith you receive not just purchased forgiveness but also his own righteousness we often get frustrated by the things in life we're not able to achieve whether through lack of ability lack of health lack of time but Jesus death achieved all that was needed for us to be happy for all eternity Because he wanted us to be with him. Just as he does now as we come to his table. Amen. Well let's respond to God's word by singing from Psalm 21. uh, Psalm 21 the first five verses on page 36. Psalm 21 page 36 verses 1 to 5. This song describes the rejoicing of a king after a battle. And these words describe above all the Lord Jesus' experience after the battle of the cross. In verse 2 we sing about Jesus being given what he desired. And what was that? The salvation of his people. In verse 3 we sing about him being rewarded for his victory. He's now highly exalted because of what he did on the cross. And in verse 4 we sing about him living forever. Death wouldn't be the end for him or for us. So Psalm 21, the first five verses, if you're able, we'll stand as we sing.